Hi there, and welcome to Zero Half Hour, brought to you by Zero Hour Health and Zedic, a podcast where we talk with leaders from across the food service industry and beyond about the pressing issues of the day in 30 minutes or less. Our goal is to share ideas from diverse perspectives on a range of topics that matter to every business in the current and post-COVID eras. I'm Rosalind Stone, CEO of Zero Hour Health, and thanks for joining us. Joining me again today is Mara Aspinall from Arizona State University. Mara is one of the leading experts in the U.S. on COVID testing. Her weekly newsletter on testing and testing capacity is a go-to. She's back here today because testing is undoubtedly the subject of the week this week. Welcome. Good morning, Mara. How are you? I am well. Good to be here. Good to, good to have you back. Didn't think I'd have you back quite so soon. Um, in light of um, everything that's happening in the last week or two or three since we last chatted about about testing. So um, we've been a little busy here at Zero Hour Health since the pre- President Biden's announcement last week regarding the vaccine mandate that includes weekly testing for unvaccinated employees. It has raised many issues. What has it been like in your world? Well, as you said, it's very busy. I really see this as President Biden resetting our fight against COVID. Uh, I want to be positive because I am so pleased by what he's done. And, you know, but if I'm, I take it from the negative point of view, we were losing the war. And when you lose, when you're losing, you need to change your strategy. And that's what he did. Reinforcing the importance of vaccination, using testing, but importantly, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, I hope that everyone understands that he was talking about testing not only as a burden for the unvaccinated, but testing as a proactive response and way to minimize spread of the virus. Agreed, agreed. Now we do see that placing a burden on unvaccinated employees um, has them rethink their position about vaccination. We have some anecdotal evidence through several of our clients, larger clients that have um, either implemented a vaccine or test mandate or are in jurisdictions where they've already had to do so, that after the second week of testing, half of the unvaccinated employees go seek vaccination. So as soon as the, really? de- as soon as the mandate is announced, about half of the unvaccinated employees go and, get, and start the vaccination process. And two weeks into the testing cycle, half of that half rethink their position. So there needs to, you know, in my opinion, we need to, um, you know, I agree with you, testing is our way out of this mess. Um, But we shouldn't necessarily make it too easy. Um, Because if we make it too easy for the unvaccinated, then it's not going to have them, you know, rethink the benefits of vaccination. Well, you know, it's no big deal. I didn't get COVID or I didn't die from COVID. And, you know, I stick this thing up my nose once a week, you know, and we get paid to do it. You know, it's a different, you know, it's a different perspective. True. True. And I, but I think that we need to continue to emphasize, you know, how safe things are. I'll be honest, I was not the first to get a vaccine. I was a little bit worried. And I'm in the field. And I read the data. And I said, okay, I get it. And it took a few tens of millions of people to get me comfortable with getting online for the vaccine. And I'm pro-vaccine in every way. So I get some of the hesitance, but now 300 million vaccines in the U.S. and more than that outside of the U.S. outside of the U.S. convinced me. So I want to emphasize that there are people who just don't want to be told what to do. 
And I also respect that. I'm kind of a rebel in my own right. But, um, you know, make a decision, but make it with the facts. Forget what people say with the science is. Um, You know, it's about the science, but now it's the facts and the truth of how many people have gotten it and how effective it is. Right. And there's still so much misinformation out there that just seems to proliferate. You know, the the single biggest, um, you know, I want to talk about testing, but the single biggest barrier um, to vaccination that we're hearing right now is is much of it is among young women in childbearing years and misinformation regarding the vaccination affecting your fertility or, or future pregnancies just is in, you know, is, is just proliferating daily. So, so uh, I read your newsletter this week with great interest um, because when I look at the testing capacity um, that your data shows and I look at the testing needs that are outlined in the president's plan, they don't seem to align. Talk to me about that. Well, it's true. We're at a precarious moment. We barely have enough testing today. And I'll separate that into two different categories. But to get to the kind of numbers that the president's talking about, even if half of the half, 25% of the unvaccinated get vaccinated, we need a lot more tests. So um, first, let me separate PCR tests that are mostly in a central lab with rapid tests. From a PCR test perspective, we're doing okay. We're nowhere near the six or eight days useless um, time to results. Um, Companies will say they're at 48 hours. I'm finding they're 48 to 72. Officially, people are saying 90% of samples within 48 hours. So I am thrilled about that. But um, the second part of the rapid antigen test, and we've talked a lot about those, those we are, um, the demand is outstripping supply right now. Mm-hmm. And um, Walmart, um, CVS, Walgreens, many of them are out of stock on the top brands. So this is an issue and we cannot let up our guard. Sure. Okay. I want to talk about that a lot further. Since we last spoke, you know, when we last spoke, and it was just a few weeks ago, you could buy kits anywhere and you cannot now. You know, we, you know, we have someone that told us they went to 47 pharmacies in New Jersey looking for rapid kits. Um, in my local CVS pharmacy, they told me there's a woman that comes in and buys one box every morning. Um, and that's, you know, one tenth of what they're getting, you know, that's, they're getting in 10 boxes a day, you know, and the same woman is waiting for them to receive them and buy one every morning. Um, there's a free for all out there with, um, you know, some of the big employers or the, the, the employers that return to the workplace earlier, um, buying up large supplies. There's, there's some, um, price pressure that the kits on the open market and the large supply are in the 20 to $25 range. Um, and, um, as I said, it's really just a free for all. There's a really interesting article or really interesting opinion piece on stat news this morning. Um, which talks about dollar tests available all over Europe and low-cost tests available in that same price range or less through vending machines all over Asia. Why aren't we there? Well, um, there are a couple of issues. First, let me come back to the president's plan. One of the things that didn't get a lot of press amidst um, amidst the discussion about vaccine mandates is he asked, and as I could tell, Walmart has already agreed to lower the price and sell them at cost right now. 
And um, so you could see that they, that they have three rapid tests, um, Binax Now, IntelliSwab, and um, the Illum Home Test. And the prices were cut 30%. Is that enough? No. Does it make a difference? Yes. Um, there are some very large manufacturers outside of the U.S., Innova and SD Biosensor in particular, where their volume is much larger than any of the U.S. providers. And I don't know their cost structure, but clearly they have found a way to make it significantly lower cost. Why aren't we there? Um, until now, our demand was high, but not nearly as high as it has been in Asian countries and in countries throughout Europe. And not necessarily consumer demand. The UK and many other European countries are ordering these in tens and hundreds of millions. And they are using these tests as free incentives to the population. And they are saying, go out and get tested. So it's a combination of the demand is higher in many of the industrialized countries outside of the US. And I suspect there's more government subsidies. So in Europe, there's something like 127 different, and that's a, a number is probably changing by the day, but there's more than 100 different approved rapid antigen tests. And here we have a much, much smaller number. Yeah. Um, talk to me a little bit about that. Well, uh, here we have, I believe the number is currently nine, um, seven that are approved without uh, prescription OTC. Um, it's all about the approval or authorization process. In the US, we have this EUA, emergency use authorization, which you know is a process. And the FDA is doing a great job, but it's taking months for them to um, grant an EUA. In Europe and much of the rest of the world, they use a process called CEIVD. And without a long, boring explanation, um, the standards are much lower and it's self-certified. So as a result of that, in total, there are about double num the number of tests with CEIVDs around the world. And not surprising that for antigen tests, it's a much larger number. If anyone wants to see these tests and look at the names and numbers, you can go to testingcommons.com, um, which I curate. And it's all free. You can get the information and see uh, the number of tests in each of these categories. Sounds good. We'll link that to the to the podcast. So are our tests better? Is the, is the process working that we have a higher quality test and we can um, bank on that? Yes, we can bank on the fact that our tests are amongst the highest quality. I can't comment on the tests in Europe um, and other places are lower quality but I feel very comfortable with the FDA's process to approve our tests. I think the question becomes is, are we making perfect the enemy the good? Um, I think the questions that people raised are, should we approve or authorize more tests here and have a less rigorous process? I have to say it's hard to advocate for a less rigorous process because if people don't believe in the fidelity and the accuracy of tests, we are in big, big trouble. So it has to be a balance. I want to emphasize that I think what the FDA has done in over-the-counter tests is pretty brilliant. They've authorized them for what's called serial testing. So you may see that the Binex tests, the IntelliSwab tests are done with, are packaged with two tests. Mm -hmm. 
So you take it day one and you take it day two. And with those two antigen tests, two day, one, one or two days apart, you end up with the accuracy of a PCR test. And that is key because early on, people were worried about false negatives, false positives. Today, I worry, I don't worry about false positives. If you're doing the test in the appropriate environment, according to the instructions, a positive, I'm pretty confident is a positive. A negative, as we talked about last time, might be a false negative at the very beginning of infection. So I think the FDA has done a great job. Do I want them to authorize more? Absolutely. So whatever resources they need, I hope the administration gives them to move tests through faster. I quoted you heavily over the weekend. Um, Many of our clients started their um, employee testing in Hawaii because their mandate uh, went into place on Monday and they were very smart in thinking we better test our employees before Monday so that we find our positives and aren't you know, ridiculously short-staffed on Monday. And sure enough, um, every one of our clients found, found one or more positives amongst their employee populations. Um, but that question about, well, you know, I went and did another test and it was negative. I went and got a PCR the next day and it was negative. A positive is a positive is a positive. Um, And um, if you don't act on a positive being a positive, you run the risk of of your own, you know, of your own outbreak or your own your own uh, close contact infections in the workplace. I want to ask a a follow up question about the two tests in the kit. So the plan that the president announced was for weekly, we understand, would be weekly testing of unvaccinated employees. Does weekly testing work? Is it enough? I would phrase it as at least weekly. I think weekly tests absolutely work. In the work that the Rockefeller Foundation did with Mathematica and the Rand Foundation, they found that in their modeling, pretty sophisticated, weekly testing will reduce the number of infections by 50%. Wow. um, Regardless of what your baseline is. Um, Is daily testing better? Yeah. But is it practical? No. Um, I think that if you're in an environment where you're dealing with a lot of highly vulnerable people, testing every three to four days is the absolute nirvana, perfect highest standard. But you have to balance the reality, the cost, and the logistics. So um, weekly testing, in my mind, does that and is highly effective. Well, if we could get to a dollar a test, we certainly could test more than once a week and could, could you know, convince a lot of people to test, to test more frequently. And, and let me emphasize, I think we're going to get there. I don't know if it's a dollar um, because distribution itself costs more than that. Sure. But if it is below $5, we start making it much more affordable because the reality is for a family of four, you, even at 30 $14 today for the next three months, the cost is lower. You can't afford to do that every week for the whole family. And it has to be the whole family. And what we don't want people doing is using the test inappropriately, getting the wrong results, and therefore denying the impact. So it needs to get sub um, $10 for a package and then sub $5, which is my expectation in the short term. Ultimately, like pregnancy tests, might we get to a dollar? Yeah, but I think that's going to take a long time. Sure. And we're hearing um, a sweet spot of $8 that employers, um, you know, when they, when they budget out needing to test unvaccinated employees only or a combination of 
unvaccinated employees and some ran, random testing of vaccinated employees, you know, at eight dollars, um, you know, they can they can make budgets work or they can, you know, find it obviously more palatable. That's interesting. I will say in public information, Massachusetts and some of the states have talked about their contracts with pool testing providers. Um, you, you know, when people do a pool, right. um, and those costs are eight to ten dollars per person. Right. Interesting. So I mentioned Hawaii earlier. So Hawaii was a really good test. And um, the, you know, a, a test of the process and the test of weekly testing of employees and what that looked like. And other than the lessons learned that there'll be positives, especially in the first round of testing, um, the other lesson learned was it's complicated and it's difficult. And, um, and uh, although there's free testing available all over Hawaii, the lines got very long. Um, there were a few employees that refused both vaccination and testing, and um, we kept their, their, our clients' legal teams busy all weekend. But um, again, the biggest takeaway was weekly testing of employees can be very complicated, cumbersome. You know, we've already talked about the expense. Yeah. Um, it's just first-line managers um, have had a very difficult year, you know, year and a half across every industry. Um, but certain industries like the restaurant and food service industry, you know, the, the, the GM, the managing partner, the, um, you know, the front of house or back of the house manager have really had very, very difficult years. And now we're adding this testing um, element to a really difficult job. What are you hearing about? Or are you hearing anything about ways to make it less complicated or how, you know, some employers are managing it more effectively than others? Well, I, I, I really appreciate how tired people are. Um, COVID fatigue, testing fatigue. Um, there is no one right answer here. In some environments, giving people tests to take home is the right way to do it. And do it you trust reduce, them? Well, as in some environments, yeah. I think mm-hmm. that um, it depends on the culture of the, of the company, of the institution to do it well. Um, it, And I I think it's hard to generalize. So I don't want to say I never trust people, um, but there are some environments where there's a lot of trust and everybody can work very well together. I think that what we found in large institutions is that pool testing works well because it is literally, no exaggeration, 30 seconds. And we have second graders swabbing themselves Mm -hmm. um, where you swab, I love the kids say boogers down. You swab, you put it in a, um, a, a large test tube called a falcon tube, and you walk away. Um, it's not the same day, but it's t- within 24 hours you get the results. It's highly efficient. It's cheaper. And then you only, what's called deconvolute, basically going through the 15 in that tube individually if you get a positive. So that's an example where schools are absolutely tired of doing this or absolutely not healthcare settings. And they've got like eight-year-olds and 16-year-olds. It's all about doing it fast and getting people through. I think that's a solution that has been underutilized and uh, can be utilized going forward. Thank you. Really good point. So we're getting some really interesting questions about the differences between the approved rapid rapid antigen kits Um, and some questions about whether or not there's a difference in their accuracy, if some kits are, some tests are better than others in their false negative rates. Can you um, 
What do you think about that? Yeah. Well, um, first of all, an antigen, there are two types of rapid antigen. Um, your listeners probably know this. Some are the instruments that were key at the beginning of the pandemic. And many of them, the U.S. government gave one free to every single nursing home and long-term care. Um, and that's an instrument-based, smaller, the toaster size. Mm-hmm. Then there's the rapid antigen that you can get um, over the counter. The false negative rate, as we've talked about many times, particularly on the way up, is roughly similar on those instruments. Are some of them be- uh, instruments and handheld devices? Um, are some of them better? Yes, but it's a couple percentage points one way or another. So I, I can't even quote you on exactly the difference between the manufacturers. Um, I-, I think you have to think of them as, as equivalent, particularly in this time where there's um, uh, not enough supply. So um, the FDA has requirements, you know, 90% um, sensitivity, which is the false negative rate, and 95%, it might be 97% specificity. So it's not like manufacturers can come in with anything. They have to meet the FDA demand to even get that EUA. Interesting. So... We're also hearing some of the same things about PCRs. A client brought to our attention that they were using a local lab for PCRs. And they noted that they'd never had a positive. And I mean, their their claim to fame was, we haven't had any COVID in our workplace. And my response was, I'm having trouble buying that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Are you seeing, you know, everybody and their brother are doing testing now. You know, there's PCR lab, you know, labs have popped up doing PCRs. You know, literally, I mean, they bought these machines everywhere, doc in the box, chiropractors, PT practices, and so forth. Should we be worrying about that? Rosalind, I'm so happy you brought that up. First of all, no test is perfect. Uh, No therapeutic is perfect. No surgical intervention is perfect. I wish, I wish, I wish there were, but right now, other than prayer, um, it's not going to happen. So... um, it is really important to understand the quality of the lab you're going to or the quality of the system that you're going to the lab. There are many, many more of these consolidators that you think you're sending it to a local lab and that local lab is then sending it to 10 other labs to get the results back quickly. Um, So fundamentally in the best lab of the world, PCR is not perfect. But you bring up an even better point. There are a lot of shady labs that don't have strong processes. So um, kudos to the people who recognize that they didn't have, they've never had a positive because that is probably a danger sign um, and that they need to ensure the quality of that system. Now, clearly, um, no restaurant, no business is going to go inspect a laboratory and they should have been inspected, but I have to acknowledge, I'm sure there are labs popping up, particularly at this time where all the inspections have not happened. If you have a big program and you're not going to a well-recognized national, regional, or local lab, send it to a few. Send the first few samples to a few and also make sure the test result comes back quickly and is easily readable. I was just gonna bring up that point. So. 
as you probably know, we have a clinical team, um, nurses, PAs, nurse nurse practitioners for the most part, that are chatting with our clients' employees in real time all day and all night long. And when an employee tests positive, they're sending the nurse their results. And you have to watch all evening. We have a a, a nurse meeting channel on Slack. And the conversation all evening long, every night is, is this a positive result? Does this, this is between the nurses, nurse practitioners, and PAs. Is this, you know, why can't I see this person's name on a PCR result? Is this positive or negative? Is this a PCR or not? Who's the lab all day and all night long? And these are people that have been doing this 16, 18 hours a day for the last 18 months. I just, uh, well, let me, so thank you, thank you, thank you. So yes, this is a clear issue. It was probably always an issue, but given the, you know, mercenary tendencies of some saying this is an opportunity like fake masks and gloves, um, this is the time. So let me amend my other answer. If you're a business, your health and safety person, your COO, your head of HR can ask for the lab's validation, can ask before you start testing, give me a sample lab report, tell me who's signing out, tell me if you're doing it on your physical property or others. I did this at the beginning of the pandemic and I don't think it's coincidental. The labs that were sleazy just chose not to get back to me because I was being difficult and asked too many questions. But also if we can go off of um, COVID for a second, I think that this report issue is one that doesn't get enough airtime. Now, almost 20 years ago, I was misdiagnosed with a disease I did not have because the doctor misread. He told me I had a severe allergy because I I had had a number of issues. He told me I had a severe allergy after reading my allergy report, and he read it wrong. Mm -hmm. And it took uh, 10 months to find out it was a problem. Uh, I got worse and worse and worse. And um, these, I went to a doctor for a second opinion. He took this first report and said, you were, this was misread. And we were able to resolve the problem quickly. We then looked at um, my original doctor, the allergist, um, broad record. 500 other people over the space of three years were also misdiagnosed because reports were not read correctly. Wow. Now, I'm in the industry. I had my patient hat on then, not my professional hat. We went to the lab and they've since, way since, they changed the report to make it easier to read. But nobody is immune from this. Mm -hmm. Um, So look at that report and make sure it's readable and understandable. Sure. We... um we got LabCorp years ago to change the reporting on a particular result called RBC cholinesterase because yeah. it's generally used in an industry that's that or it's generally used um, in, in in industries that are mostly male. And now, over the last ten years, there are way more females in environmental consulting and those kinds of things having the test. And the reference ranges don't reflect female results. And we were having results misread or we're having results flagged as critical values for a very long time. And the process to get them to change the reference range or change the reporting was very interesting. And it took, it took um, quite a few resources. So that's just a little example of the same thing. I don't want to take up too much of your time. I have two, two more things I want to circle back to. One is about the consolidators. Um, so needless to say, we had zero our health by a lot of lab results. We did pre-COVID with drug screens and blood work, um, but, but certainly post-COVID, we are buying a lot of lab work and the consolidators um, come knocking on our doors. 
a consolidator came to us that had built an incredibly top-notch information reporting platform, which is a really important part of this whole process. How do you know who's positive? How do you keep track of it? How quickly are your results reported? Can you read them? It was beautiful. They said that they were, at the time, when they first came to us, um, providing 24-hour results, uh, and they were using 20 different labs across the country. By the second time they came back to us, it was 27 labs. As soon as we pushed on the quality assurance information on those labs and the list of lab names, we truly never heard from them again. Yeah. We were talking about a million dollars or more of business, and we never heard from them again. Um, And um, they circled back recently. We asked the same question. Again, gone. Um, Never heard a follow-up. So it's really challenging environment out there. Yeah. I want to go back to one other thing you said. Uh, and this is back to the Rockefeller ran Mathematica um, study. If weekly testing reduced the incidence of COVID by 50%, in how long would we need? What the, the question I'm getting from employers, am I talking about testing employees for three months, for six months, forever? Um, if you could meld those two concepts or questions together. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I hesitate here because I, I don't want people to give up and throw up their hands and say, I can't deal with this, but I think we're talking. I'm going to say at least six months. Mm-hmm. And everybody may not want to hear this, but you're testing clearly for your own employees and to reduce the spread, but you're also testing for the good of public health. Mm-hmm. Um, we, this is the only way to stop the spread of Delta. Mm-hmm. If the vaccines were perfect, uh, 100%, which no vaccine in the history of mankind, humankind ever have been, um, then that would be enough, but it's gotta be both. So I think that you are testing in the current way for three to six months. But I think importantly, it changes once we get on top of this in a good way, which is we start doing random testing we start doing surveillance testing. If you're in a university or a congregate setting, you start doing wastewater testing. People seem to poop where they sleep. <laughs> um, somebody said to me, not literally where they sleep, but um, is they, uh, that is the kind of surveillance testing that I believe is the next stage of the pandemic. And then you only test areas where you have a positive sign in the wastewater or when you have a pool, or if you're doing pools of three or four, we might go to pools of 20 or 25 because the likelihood of a positive is much lower. And the FDA, by the way, does have an, a process to authorize testing in pools. So, um, you know, for sure, and consistent with what President Biden said, I believe for sure we should be testing through the end of 21. We're probably then going to be doing COVID and flu testing Mm -hmm. um, in the winter. And my hope is we look six months out, um, we are getting a real spring ahead of us and a sustainable reduction in virus where we're then just doing surveillance and outbreak testing. Excellent. Mara, let's end on that note. Thank you so much. Be well, and I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thank you. You too. Take care, everyone. show for today. Thanks again for taking the time to join us. Stay tuned for our next episode in your inboxes and on your podcast app of choice soon. 
As always, if you have any topics or questions you'd like us to cover or have a guest we should chat with, don't hesitate to reach out to us at support at zerohourhealth.com. To learn more about us and subscribe to our twice-weekly executive summary, check out zerohourhealth.com. Thanks again. Thank you.